0: Special Edition. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to part two of the interview with Pastor Brad Cummings. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students, they become the bards of war. Good evening patriots, and tonight is Thursday, October 27th, and as always, the East Coast, you seem to be well ahead of us. By virtue of geography, you get to be in Friday while this plays. Patriots, tonight we're going to have part two of the interview with Pastor Brad Cummings, and we're going to dig into the 10 plagues tonight, which will be what will carry it through the rest of this four-part series, and looking at how these plagues were designed by God to dethrone the idols and the idolatry of the empire of Egypt. Now, before we begin, make sure you're taking good care of your health and your sleep And to do that, you need the best products to sleep on, and that's MyPillow. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards is the home of the best products on the market, and that's our landing page. And your promo code is Bards, B-A-R-D-S. There are tremendous savings going on, including an extended warranty on the products right now and worth looking at all of them. And this is a great time to buy products for Christmas. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards promo code, Bards. Take advantage of the amazing savings. This is a company that continues to excel at being a patriot company led by a man who loves Jesus and lives by the principles of the Bible as we see him continue to support and fight for this nation. So that's Mike Lindell, if you didn't know. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, the best place for sleep products to ensure you get a great night's sleep and at the same time, every dollar you know in one way or another, is going to fight for liberty in this country. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. All right, Patriots. So we're going to begin with part two of the interview with Brad Cummings. Here we go. So let's pick up, Brad, with these 10 aspects, the 10 plagues. You've been talking to me about this now for most of the week, and it came from a conversation you and I had way earlier uh, last week. And... I've been really intrigued because you've been dropping some pretty neat seeds and crumbs <laughs> for me because I'm kind of beginning to look at this in, in a similar way. And I think the interesting thing about all of this for me, and it's, it's again God's hand, is long before you and I knew each other. And it was when I was just on Twitter, I hadn't even started my podcasting path that God had me on. God put on my heart very clearly Exodus 2.0 and when I said this to people initially they were like well that's not scriptural it can't be and I'm like you know it's it's a framing of the time it's not intended to be writing a new chapter but it's a framing in the time of how we are and what's really amazing for me to have witnessed how God has worked this is where five years ago that was a very contentious statement for some because it was as if I was trying to step out and say like there's going to be a new rewriting scripture or adding a new chapter, which was not what I was intending to do. Today, as I talk about this, there is a the evolution in dialogue is I think people are starting to realize that there is really something significant in that framing of exodus that we're in now because we literally are exodusing this control matrix this fight against darkness and so when you started talking to me about looking at the 10 plagues i'm like okay this is fascinating so let's kind of start with the framing of that
1: yeah let let me um let me give some biblical context so that it isn't just some crazy notion of exodus 2.0 i mean it it, in, in the broad scope of Scripture. You can see this in the book of Revelation. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord in his Christ. Okay, that, that's, that's, that's unarguable. We are told that there's a harlot beast system. And we're supposed to come out of her. Because she's going to be absolutely trounced and judged. So there is your Exodus 2.0. I mean, it says in Romans. So we're not just cherry picking something that God is seated at the right. You know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. Well, ha- ha- hasn't been finished yet. That, that will be. And that that's, that's where you and I have talked a lot about how, well, I guess somebody's on the field doing some work. If, if, if he's seated at the right hand And he's waiting for the enemies to be made. That's that's where we get the whole dominion and subdue your enemy um, commands that were given in Genesis. And it's like, we're not finished with those. That's that's really our our work to do. You know, we're supposed to be praying that the kingdom of, of, you know, just as it is in heaven will be manifest down here on Earth. We're supposed to pray that. So that's the global context of the Bible. Wherein you could easily say Exodus 2.0, and 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 what's happening in Exodus? And in Exodus, God is showing up to a captive people, and they're not—they're just crying out. They're—they're they're giving it to whom it may concern prayers. they are they they are just saying. Egypt had over two thousand different deities. I mean they 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 ascribed a deity to just about everything under the sun, and they ranked them all. And you know, I think the reality is is, we're not that different today. We just don't talk about it in that same dynamic. but we 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 make a good many gods of our creation, and we make them in our image as opposed to recognizing we're supposed to be made in his image we tend to make our little self-styled religions out of the things we want to try to understand and make sense of. And, and God's showing up into that whole system. And he's, and he's got like, um, a couple of essential purposes. He is hearing the cry of people in distress and he's responding. They didn't say, Oh, Yahweh. Please, you and you alone coming. They're they're basically just crying out, and God, in compassion, is hearing them, and He's going like, "I'm going to I'm going to send help. I'm going to send a deliverer. I am going to raise up a deliverer, and then I am going to show up, and I will set them free, and I will show all of the other little g gods as empty and powerless." And that there are none other than me. And I don't think most of us, I think most of us are like, oh, that'd be really cool. That's nice. It's like, well, but the problem is, is what if you actually live your life in such a way that you're sort of worshiping them? Or you're trusting in them? Or you're doing, you know, whatever it is. You know, I love, I think one of the reasons I've so resonated with you is you're fierce and fearless when it comes to confronting idolatry. Of any shape or form, and you're wanting to pull your sword out and whack somebody with it. And I'm going like, cool, cool, cool. I I don't don't lose that edge. Let's just with discretion, let's know when we do that moment. But I love the passion. And I sort of feel like I just sort of recognize that's some of the assignment of God on you. And I'm going, like, Amen, man. I I am I am lockstep with you in that. And that does need to be confronted. I think this whole COVID insanity of the last few years has really been this surprise test in our in our bondage of demonstrating to us, to every single person on the planet, bar none, what you actually trust in, what you believe, who and what you turn to because you're frightened. Who you turn to for your salvation, what you turn to, how committed to discovering truth you really are or are not. And I I think this is, you know, I have thought like, gosh, I've got to blow the trumpet. I've got to be one of the watchmen on the wall. I've got to warn everybody. I've got to do everything. And, And to some degree, honestly, God has thwarted some of what I thought my ways I was supposed to do that. It's not as if I haven't been raising my voice, but I felt like God, you know, when I, when things didn't turn out the way I had wanted them to, God would just kind of tell me to relax and chill out and not be so bothered. And I was trying to like, why? He said, well, Brad, everyone needs to go through this. And I'm going, yeah, but there's real people dying. And it's like, God was not as anxious about that as I had presumed. And and that's been hard for me. I, I haven't really known what to do with that, because it's not as if God is not caring. He absolutely cares. But in this whole moment, I've realized, wow, you're seeing this different. And go ahead, jump in.
0: I agree, and I, I just want to segue in here a little. i mean, add to this, because, you know, you just said something that really struck me. Is, and I told you on that ride down a few weeks ago to Yuba City, and this really amazing ride from Shasta City down to Yuba City and, and just having this very living conversation with Christ. And what you just kind of hit on is one of those five things on my list as I went across the country was pray for President Trump to be a repenting president in Christ. And as I was kind of going through these, he's like, yeah, don't worry about that right now. Mm. And I... I I was kind of like, okay. He's like, don't worry about that. And it was very clear. It's like that has its process in its time. The focus now needs to be to empower people to understand the purpose of where they are, why each person is where they are in this massive play that God's about ready to unfold, that they also need to understand that they're not alone. But that all the trials that we're going through, their faith in him is going to be critical in building out the communities with the strength and love in him because they are going to be the bridge. And it's really a a rather masterful and beautiful look at things. And to your point exactly, there is no, there wasn't a sense of urgency of find the one person. And this goes back to the idolatry again. We have in this process had an incredible revealing of idolatries. Yeah. And I mean, this this has just been my thing in my whole life. I mean, I literally have always had an issue with authorities and I, and I just do. And that's kind of innate, in, 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 innate to me. But as I have really become close and intimate with God, that that is transformed to be able to, to the eyes that to see that where we trip up on idolatries of so many kinds. And I, I just wanted to highlight this before you kind of dig into these because we tend to do a very ancient perspective in our thinking of what idols are, like physical idols, like the golden calf, or we're going to make a something out of stone and breathe life into it. And what we're missing is in this day and age, idolatries are everywhere. Idolatries are I, as I say all the time, I love my Jeep, okay? But if I obsess on my Jeep, it becomes an idolatry, if that's what I live for, yeah. right? If if I'm putting my eyes, my worries, and my focus every time something happens on President Trump to fix it, that's an idolatry. He's a man. Respect him, don't like him, That's that's your choice, but don't worship him. When we looked at COVID, and COVID comes into our lives and dominates people's lives, we start to realize another form of idolatry, the worship of fear. And, the, and, that, and these are these levels of control that are in our lives that have been so heavy, heavily engineered as we start to peel back those layers of the onion. And once again, kind of that deep repentance process as we go through it. If we're being honest in our heart and we're looking at our lives, trying to... Give our our eyes to as God would want us to see this world. We start to realize just how many things around us are shaping us with worship, and in worship in the worst
1: way, right? Yeah. So I, 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 just want I, to I think with that's this. I think that's huge because it is. It's like I don't have something erected in my house that I call an altar that I sacrifice on, but the way I live my life will reveal that very thing but isn't that
0: one of the greatest tricks here of satan in this whole place is first he's convinced us that he really isn't real and he's a large percentage of the population he's convinced he has no he's not real that's falling apart
1: right now (laughs) right
0: exactly and he's convinced many of the churches that he's real but he has no power because the sacrifice on the cross somehow took care of that. And then we've had this other thing of, well, there's no more idols in our culture because we're not those ancient thing. When we fail to look around and realize that our idols are things like our credit card statement, our our social credits or our credit card score, what our house looks like, what we wear, And just on and on the endlessness of idols that have been wrapped around us to where they become normalized to the degree we can't even distinguish idols from the,
1: and the idolatry that we live with. And, and an awful lot of what we do is more fear driven. Yes. And so it really is the worship of appeasement. Very well said. I'm, I'm, I'm. What I do, I do out of fear of a bad result, so I spend all this energy in trying to ensure that that bad result can't happen. Um, I don't think people realize that the entire insurance industry is a form of sacrifice and appeasement. There you go. It's the gods of calamity that I want to somehow keep at bay, and I want the guarantee that if i pay the premiums then i will somehow be okay and i'm going like okay well talk to the people in florida right now about how all that is because they just experienced the calamity and are they really excited about the worship of appeasement and the premiums and all that other stuff i mean you know will they be able to re- yeah yeah but guess what that didn't stop the hurricane and I think there's a whole different way to live life than the the mold that we've all been forced into and been told this is like reasonable and appropriate and responsible and this is what you should do and I'm going like you know what I'm I'm beginning to have that shaken and and questioned and I sort of realize I've done all those things but that's not the same thing as putting my trust a hundred percent in that guy called God and 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 asking him, how should I walk that out? And and so I think you know, if I want my life to be stormproof, I'm realizing I have a lot of things that will likely be shed in this next season of difficulty coming up, and so I am quickly in my own heart disentangling myself from those things because. It's like, you know, I live in a wonderful house. I have worked my butt off, and I have no problem with um, people prospering, and all that stuff. but you can become owned by those things in such a way that you really change them from being blessings to being idols. And it really is the gaze of your soul. I mean, I, I, I would define worship as the gaze of my soul. And you can measure it by the, the life's blood of what you give to that, your time, your talent, your energy. And that will define the idol of what you worship. And the, the thought of, you know, losing those things. It's like if we'd lived as stewards, then it's like in as much as God has entrusted it to me, I'm I'm a steward of it. I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm meant to be the owner and possessor the way we become. And then it's like, if God says, guess what? Changing gears, we got a different road to walk on. If I'm a steward and it's his, I, I'm not going to have the, the anxiety of loss. See, that's so critical right there because
0: we anchor ourselves in ownership. And that's, that's, a, that's another one of these Babylonian magic principles that's in play right now. We, we anchor ourselves in an ownership that all things that God gave us, somehow we each, by the portion in which we have or accumulate and hoard all against heaven, we are able to own those things and therefore control those things. And this is, this is the, probably the, one of the roots of the power of so much of this idolatry in this time, is the false notion that we can truly own and control and and it becomes ours. And when we shred that away and we start to go into the principles of stewardship, which you just stated, which I completely agree with, our relationship to everything is transient. We embrace it. And it gets back to the principle of like really living in the moment. You know, I I love a set of headphones I have as an example. Love them when for editing. They're like the best ever. And, and I miss them even if I don't take them on the road because I enjoy them. But if they have to go away, I'm not mourning them. I'm not, I'm just going to adapt and move on. And it's just, but when we get to the loss aspect and it starts to control us, we're really hindering God and we're, we're hindering them. in and in such a way that we have to go through a time like this, a season, as you've stated, where everything is shaken And where every bit of our relationship to these things becomes so evident that they also become so trite. And that's where I think we're going, is that a direction where we're going, where you you have to confront such trauma as a society, that you have to face such dramatic shaking that all the things that these mountains that you have built crumble before you to where it fundamentally gets down to some simple things. And my personal opinion is, for those that aren't following and building that relationship with God, it becomes a place where they literally are left in that most critical valley of moment of decision of either turning to him, even if they don't know him and seeking him or turning their back and walking into the bowels of what this of this hell that they're wanting to create. And I, and I think that's where this process is that we're heading into is taking us.
1: Yeah, when when you when you think of what real liberty is, being a steward is a far more attractive option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at one point I had a nice fat six figure salary and beautiful house in Southern California, and then the rug got pulled out from underneath me, and I I went into total freak out mode. I mean, I got three kids, a wife, and a large mortgage. And I am white knuckling life before the throne of God going like, what happened? <laughs> and then I'm going like, God, you, you obviously see and know, right. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm frightened because it's like, it is big consequence. And I went before the Lord and it's kind of like, and he says, "Bread, what are you so anxious about? And, you know, I kind of don't really like Jesus in those moments when he's kind of talking about, cause you just go like, wait a minute. Isn't it obvious? What I mean, why do you have to say it that way? I feel like such a child. Uh, you know? And he's like, what are you so anxious about? And I'm like, well, come on. It's obvious. It's like, don't you see this mortgage payment? And, and he said, Brad, whose house is it? And I, Honestly, I, I stopped for a second. I went, Well, I thought you gave it to me. And I, I was I, w- I wasn't being punchy. I was just like, I thought you gave it to me. I mean, the, the way in which we secured that was nothing short of a total miracle, an amazing story. And it, it was just like, Wow, God, I mean th- that was that was your evidencing to me, you are my father, you are the provider, and you actually did something that would never have ever had I didn't have the means to do it and I didn't put myself in some nasty bind but you're just going like okay um I thought you gave it to me and he-, he said Brad if it's your house you have to pay for it if it's my house I'll pay for it I got a revelation right on the spot yeah it's your house <laughs>
0: All yours, baby.
1: Take- All yours. It's like you know what? I'm no longer unclear about this. If that's the, if that's the game plan, then it's your house. This is perfect. You know, I don't even have to sign anything. It's your house, God. And and you know that's I, I can say it with some humor now. It was profound at that moment because I was really left with a wait a minute, God, you, you're actually being serious. And you're, you're you're forcing me to a clarity I didn't have, but I'm taking and I'm going like, okay, I actually was enjoying the pride of ownership. And you were talking to me about stewardship. And I realized something. If God wanted me here, he would provide for me. And the moment there was another place than here that he wanted to me. Why would I want to stay here if he wants me someplace else? Yeah, And therefore, it's not so frightening to live on the edge of being a steward of what he provides for me. It's, it's, it's a form of clarification and confirmation that if he wants me here, he will provide. If he doesn't want me here, he will help me recognize he's not providing for here. And then the biggest mistake I could make is then my trying to stress and provide for myself something God wasn't giving.
0: Isn't that the truth right there? That is, that is so dead on, and it's, you know, there's a metaphor that I've used most of my life. My dad gave it to me, and just it's the relationship to the water and the stream, to the stream. And it's are you swimming up current or are you flowing with the current? And you know if you've river rafted, and I and I yep. have, and you know that even going with the current isn't always easy, like <laughs> or, that, or safe, or safe, like <laughs> the class five rapid that suddenly jumps in front of you and sucks you and <laughs> bends your big your your big boat in half, right? To the, to the hole we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and submersion and all the other, but nonetheless, you couldn't even imagine going the other way, right? And that's that's just it. So let's dig in a little bit to these ten commandments, because I'm or in the ten plagues. I'm sorry, I'm really yeah. Anxious.
1: It's it, it's fascinating because I think God is he he declares early on that he is going to do a, a handful of things. He is going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He is going to do that, and he's going to do it by great judgments. And that's the scary part. You know, it's like we don't we don't really we're not really sure what to do about that. And he's going to do it in such a way that not just the Egyptians, but everybody will know that I am the Lord. And you're going like, wow. okay. so here's the purpose of why we're going to go through this kind of very astounding set of things because if god just wanted to deliver the people he didn't need to go through 10 plagues he could have just done one you all the rest of you that are in my way are dead goodbye and and they're instantly delivered but he does them in such a way that there is a progressive unfolding of his executing judgment against egypt's gods it's not executing judgment against Egyptians, and I think that is like super important to realize. And 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 because everybody experiences the first three, the Israelites who actually didn't know this God very well, they'd be hard pressed to think that this was a good thing. I mean, serious. They, they're they getting impacted just like everybody else. And mm-hmm. there's not a one of these things that doesn't materially impact the economy of how they live their daily life at every level. It starts there. And when I was looking through these, I just sat there and I started to get a different lens going like, oh, my lands. We seem to be having similar things on our horizon." that are all being threatened in this very same tangible way. The only difference is I don't know the, who the Moses is that is declaring them at his hand. And so that's where I'm part of, that's where I'm kind of going like, guess what? I don't think God does the repeat business where You know, it would be a mistake to go like, well, if there's an Exodus 2.0, then we have to figure out who Pharaoh is and who Moses is. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is under the great canopy of God is looking to deliver his people. And to reveal to the rest of the world who, in fact, is God, very God. And he is going to trounce everything else that's not a God. And his heart is to reveal himself. He's not having to prove himself. He's not like, gee, I'm going to show them. It's like, no, no. This is how you get free. Is recognizing it's happening. It says in in um, Haggai, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that we might receive an unshakable kingdom. And it's like, well, I don't like being shaken. Too bad. It's not really asking whether you like it or not. It's telling you there's a purpose and a reason behind it because God's wanting your life to be built on something that won't be transient. This is moving everything to the permanence of wisdom and what's what's real. And so if if the things in my life that get messed up are being revealed, to be transient, temporal, and not those things. If I'm joined to them, I will feel the suffering of loss. If I'm really trying to be joined to him, that's deliverance. Yeah, I think that's really important to not get messed up as we start to really experience difficulties. And um, you remember the, the the first thing when Moses shows up um, I'm not going to like give chapter and verse to everything. Cause I, I, I'm more like to tell a story as opposed to just you know, let's preach. Um, but when they first show up, Pharaoh doesn't know who the Lord is. And so when Moses shows up and, and, you know, it might be that Pharaoh knows who Moses is might be, but we're not guaranteed that, you know, just that the, you know, the, um, the Prince of Egypt version that Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katz put together. I I don't know that they're exactly right on everything, but the route is Moses comes back and he basically says, I got a message and you're to let my, you know, God says, you're going to let my people go. And Pharaoh actually believes he is the Supreme God. It's his job to keep all the other gods in order and to keep everything functioning and so he is really the son of the Supreme God in flesh, and he goes like, "I don't know who the Lord is. I don't I don't know his voice, and I'm not interested in doing what you said." And so you have this first showdown before we ever get to the plagues, you have this moment where, you know Aaron has the rod of God that, that was given to Moses, and he throws it down on the ground and it becomes a serpent. And then, you know, Pharaoh, has his magicians come and they do the same thing they throw their staff on the ground and their staff becomes snakes too you know er- ergo the whole bit like the enemy doesn't have any power it's like excuse me they just matched the miracle <laughs> it's like give me a flip and break it's like wow um, i'm shocked <laughs> and you gotta believe that moses is probably going like hmm I, I'm not sure how this is gonna turn out. <laughs> well,
0: we always forget those other little pieces, which you know I love to embellish. You know, I, whether... I mean,
1: I just I, I just go like, i like to be a real person. Moses is thinking he's having his drop mic moment and then when Janice and Janibries mm-hmm. drop their mics too, you go like, oh shoot, what do we do now? Right. Exactly. Like, Aaron, do something. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and it's like, we, we don't have that embellishment in the scripture, but we certainly do in the, in the way I read it, because I just go like, wow, be a real person here. I think what's fascinating is I think God started there on purpose. Because the, the you know, every every picture of Pharaoh you've ever seen, they got the little cobra thing at the top of his little helmet. Yep, That's this God called Nebuch- Nebuchadnezzar. And it's like, it's considered the original snake. This is like the supreme God in the Egyptian deities. And he's really the one who's in charge of your afterlife. He's the one who's supposed to take the dead souls and connect them up with the afterlife. Interesting. And so it's like, this is a, this is a statement that just says, okay, we're going to play for keeps. And we're going to start with your supreme God. that's right on the top of your head. And. And they have in their story that their God, the reason he's the supreme God is he has, in their own legends, eaten seven other snakes before. He is the supreme deity. And the showdown right now is, Moses, you're coming to me in the name of the Lord. And what's his name? I am that I am. Well, gee, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, it's like, I don't really care who this God is. And so the Israelites have a God. Great. They're our slaves. I don't care. I, I am the living embodiment of God and I worship, you know, these gods of which I am the, the, the representative. And so this is a showdown right now, but it's playing for keeps and it's playing for all eternity. And then Moses a the snake eats the other snakes. Now they don't have two staffs, right? You're going like, whatever it was that you did, you're not getting it back. And he just consumed all your power and he now just made a statement of your eternity. This God is greater than every other thing that you said. We're gonna start there. That's stunning.
0: Yeah, it is. That it's way we miss that detail so much. It's power. Oh my
1: gosh. I'm I'm going like, wow, nice opener. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, whoa. And but but here's here's like the stubbornness of the human soul embodied in Pharaoh. So I'm still not going to do it. And so he doesn't let the people go. And I'm just going like, wow. I would have thought that that might have shook him a little bit. Nope, we'll just get a few more staffs. You know, okay, nice parlor trick. He tries to dismiss it. I'm going like, That's not a dismissible parlor trick.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Okay. Your your two gods just got consumed by
1: this. Well, it's not just two gods. It's your symbol of everything and your eternity just got swallowed up by this God who is in charge of all of that. Wow. Yeah. He just trounced your entire belief system as the opening act. And it's like, wow. Wow but i think we really are i think one of the one of the one of the most difficult things in all of this is you see this progression in pharaoh as he hardens his heart and then his heart gets hardened he hardens his heart and his heart gets hardened and the first six judgments talk about how it's the hardening of pharaoh's heart which is why we're having to go to the next round is he's not yielding. Then when we hit the seventh one, it very specifically says God hardens his heart. And you just go like, wow. I mean, one of the very first assignments I was given in in seminary was to kind of look at this whole bit of, you know, who hardens whose heart. And it's a real conundrum because I think a lot of us, you know, we don't like the personal responsibility that, you know, um, the most often repeated phrase in the New Testament is, to him who has ears, let him hear. And it 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 it, it also says, take heed how you listen, for out of the issues of the heart, you know, the, the out of the abundance of life, the issues of life flow, and you're just going like, okay, wait a minute. My heart's a precious thing to keep tender before the Lord, and I'm not supposed to harden it. And if I do harden it, it becomes worse in the process. And that's not an act of punishment. It's an act of my stubbornness. And it's a, it's a picture of God's unrelenting desire to get through to me. I and mean, I think in this whole amazing thing, there is something pretty profound and intimate in the fact that God is not just like, I am going to so get Pharaoh. No, 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 no. That is not his heart in this whole bit. He is basically going to say, hey, I am going to show for all time, all history, all everywhere. I'm going to take on the single greatest ruling empire in the world. And I'm going to show the world it's empty. And I'm going to reveal my heart to bring freedom to all those Who are willing to be free. I want to just
0: put a subtext on there because of what we've already talked about. But I think it's pretty evident that God is leaving that door open for Pharaoh to come to him.
1: Totally. Totally.
0: And and I think that's very profound because obviously by the opening act, as you well, as you told that story well, God can do anything he wants. He could strike it down. But this isn't the process. And I think this is where in the modern day we, we stumble because people will say things like, I can't wait till Jesus takes me out of here. Father, when are you going to come? We need, we need Christ to come to this and fix this. The, the back to the principle of a kind of a 2.0 exodus is it's the process of the exodus that we're going through here that is bringing his children back to him and awakening a nation to a greater understanding of who the one God is. Yeah. Uh, and this is so important in this time for people to really understand because this isn't, and it gets back to even what you said earlier, God is not isn't urgent about some of the deaths that are happening. And we're saying, why, 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 why? And it's like there is a process. We got here by a lot of our own hand, our, our poor stewardship, are walking away from him there's now a process to bring us back without taking us to the point of civil war blood feuds and we can go on the list and i think when we look at the, the egyptian story one of the things that's very striking is there's no civil war that happens there's and that's there's no violent uprising that happens god is bringing he was bringing a judgment on judgment i think you were saying it's a little different term but nonetheless he's bringing judgment on the land And he's letting, and everybody in one capacity or another has to now suffer through these plagues and their different capacities, life changes, value changes, everything that they had relied on and become accustomed to is shaken and torn down right from the very opening act with the two serpents that are now consumed that now by definition of what you've explained, they don't even have a gateway to their afterlife. Now it's gone. It got eaten right there in front of Pharaoh. (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> I, I think it's i think it's important to to just segue this little thought you and i've talked about this a bunch justice god is a god of justice he cares about justice you know r- r- justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne so if i want to understand authority i can't pretend like those don't matter they absolutely do Justice is something he asks us to do. I'm supposed to live justly, to walk humbly, to love mercy, and to, and to live justly. Justice matters. If I don't extend justice and, and, and help be a force for it in the world in which I live and in, in the influence that I can bear, then we will be courting judgment. Judgment is different than wrath. And I think this is really important to understand, because judgment, if we understood it, it is God coming to set wrong things right. I want that. If I'm joined to my idols and my idols are being judged, I won't like that. But if I need to be delivered, I still need it, even if I don't like it. Because I somehow need to have my little grimy golem hands pried off of my precious. If God's going to help save and deliver me, I just will probably be fighting him as opposed to thanking him. But he's still committed to me. That, that I mean, that's his that's his patient long-suffering. It's like he's like the you know Royal Rocky Mountain Police. God will get his man. It's just a question of he, he'll bring him in the easiest way. He'll come, and, and it's like, he is not at the end of the day. He is going to grant me the dignity of my will. And if I choose to reject him, I can do so for eternity. I just would never recommend that. for anybody.
0: <laughs> I think that's kind you of know? on the bad choice list, to
1: be it's, honest. Yeah. With. That's like that. You know, w- welcome to the hall of fame. Stupid. Um <laughs> You know, so so I, I look at that, but I'm not an object of God's wrath unless I set myself up in entire allegiance to say, I'm going to give God the big middle finger. I'm going to do so knowingly, and I'm going to do so with my allegiance choice, and I'm choosing the other side. You do that, and guess what? You do get to become part of the wrath. Yep. But— if you don't do that, God's not putting his wrath I mean I really I really despise this casual notion that God is the lightning bolt God that just gets a little irritated and throws them down at us as if you know these are the acts of God you're just going like you know what you don't know him
0: no they don't and that's the sad part because it's also when you're saying that there is a it's back to this kind of fear and unworthy framework and then it's also this piece of I, I just need to endure this life and then God will fix everything and that that neither one of those are correct
1: yeah and it also leaves God as though he really does need to go to anger management classes <laughs> you know like he just is he's got just a foul attitude and you know thank God for Jesus and it's like guess what God's not playing the good cop bad cop thing with us Jesus is the exact expression of his heart so if you can see Jesus and you see, wow, mercy and compassion, welcome to the exact expression of the father's heart. You know, and it's like we, we've been given this this bipolar perspective of God and it's just it's just bunk. It's not true. And so jumping into the, the first plague. What God does is he, you know, he basically has them walk in front of the Nile. He gives uh, um, Pharaoh an opportunity to say, let my people go. Pharaoh says, nope, not going to do it. And then God says, okay, here we go. And and stretched forth the hand over the Nile, turns the Nile into blood. And not just the Nile, but every single bit of water everywhere. All the ponds, all the jars, all the everything. Now, the Nile was something that they kind of worshipped. It was. It was the. They considered it the bloodstream of their god Osiris. the The Egyptian Trinity is Osiris, Isis, and then Horus. And 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 it, it will connect in terms of our goofy phallic symbol in Washington D.C. the Washington monuments, like that. The whole story behind those gods, they're all front and center in the worship of today, and symbols we just. Aren't really aware of what's going on, right? But these, these, this Trinity is still front and center. The worship of the
2: Cabal—it's—it's
1: huh. it's what they give their. And so we're directly heading right to there. And so we're addressing the fact that they had this great god uh, Kanum. He was uh, the the human with a ram's head, and it's he was the giver and the guardian of the Nile. They have this happy god. that's H A P I. And he brought the flood once a year that um, all the fertile land would be just um, given new topsoil and new fresh fertilization every year. And that was, you know, they considered that the work of their God, Happy. Osiris is sort of, you know, he is one of the great gods of their trinity, and the Nile is a picture of his bloodstream. And, you know, I think there's, there's something that's happening here, and the reason God first went there... Is because as he was bringing a deliverer, what did they do to all the Hebrew little babies? They killed them and they threw them into the Nile. Wow. And it wasn't just a few. You're talking tens of thousands. Because the Israelites had become so prosperous in their population. They were doing a depopulation control effort. And they were killing all the children just like the CDC of and, today.
0: And, parent, and Planned Parenthood.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you look at abortion and you look at what's happening in the childhood vaccination system, I mean, it's like we are doing the Egyptian pharaoh thing upon this generation. And lest we think that that doesn't have consequences, oh, it most surely does. And they would almost surely have been aware that this is the God of whose children they didn't consider of any value and they just wholesale slaughtered that god is now taking issue with your very life but now if you live in a desert and this happens to your water and you only get two inches of rain every year how how significant is this first get-go your whole life's blood of economy and your ability to actually live and survive. This plague lasted a whole week. That, that, that doesn't, that doesn't perhaps sound like an awful lot, but you just try to go without water for three days. Mm -hmm. That, that becomes a, a, a life threatening event. Yes, it does. We're into seven days. And what's crazy is you know, out come the magicians of of, of Egypt and they perform a, they duplicate this miracle. Not, not 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 to the same broad scope, but it's like somehow their magicians, you know, turn the water into blood too. I find that again extraordinary. Going like, well, how did they do that? And two, wow. What meaneth that? And I don't know that it. But but guess what? They could duplicate the act. What they couldn't do is undo the undo the outcome.
0: Right. That's a huge one right there.
1: And so you just go like, wow. Guess what? Um, God showed mercy at the end of seven days, and He stopped this. We would have had a total extinction event had He not. Yep. And so I, I look at that and I'm going like, wow, they worshipped the gods of the Nile. Their physical economy, their, their, the key to their whole life and their trade, everything, was the Nile. So God is demonstrating, again, it's like, I just swallowed up everything that relates to your eternity and your entire belief system. Now I'm going to touch the very physical thing that's the, the central heartbeat of your existence that you rely on for physical well-being and your entire economy is related to this would god do that to america and the globe uh yeah coming to a theater near you exactly (laughs) i mean i just go like wow they had gods that were the guardians of the fish and the fishermen and 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 the nile and guess what their gods who were supposed to be guarding all this are powerless to stop it. And I don't know what the names of our gods are, but God is going to touch the dollar because it is, it is, it has been the, the bad thing that has destroyed many, many other people in, in, in worship of it, the death toll surrounding it and human trafficking and just, Murder and in war and all, I mean that God needs to be judged and we need to be freed from it. Whether we, whether we see that as mercy to us or not.
0: Well, we've seen some of this, some of the gods were politicians. We've seen institutional worship has been slaughtered pretty heavily. We've seen the fake church, the false teachings of the church and those doors shut with COVID. Yeah. And the, the, Definitely the dollar is right up there with one of the backbones. And it's interesting because as with the, the turning water to blood, the, without the ability to pre- conduct commerce, it, it affects commerce. You are going to have the same thing with the dollar. It's already happening.
1: That that That's why I sort of tossed in the parallels. Like, you know what? The dollar is our Nile. It is. and And it is rather stunning to me. That the Mississippi is down sixty feet.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, and they can't move.
1: And you're just going like, "What the heck?" I don't. I mean, it's not been on the news. I've only heard of it through all you know alternate sources. And you're just going like, "No flipping way." This is one of the biggest arteries of commerce in our nation, and I don't think most people are aware of how essential it is. And I'm just going like, "How and why is it happening?" This is this is stunning to me. I, I don't have a scientific explanation in the least.
0: I don't think anybody does at this point.
1: So the the second plague, all of a sudden, frogs come everywhere. And it's kind of like, okay, so the Niles turned to blood. Well, you might think, well, okay, I guess the frogs are saying we're out of here. Um, I, I I go like, guess what? They worshipped the frogs. The frogs were considered so sacred, you could not step on them. It was a death penalty if you did. They had, uh, they had a frog god, goddess named Heget, and it's the goddess of birth, the wife of the creator. And she is the head of a frog on the body of a woman. They had crocodile gods, frog goddesses. They're the, considered the primordial gods. And it's like a whole bunch of frog-headed gods, nook, Kek, and Hay. And you're going like, this was, to them, the frog was a sacred symbol because it lived in two worlds it lived in the water and on land and and it was sort of like in their idea of in 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 this world and the next and you're going like wow haged is supposed to be the goddess that controls birth and 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 all of a sudden the life's blood of 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 their existence is turned to blood and then out of it comes so many frogs they're just everywhere and guess what? They're so they're so multitudinous, you couldn't step anywhere without stepping on them.
0: So you're violating your own, you're, you're violating the laws of
1: the land. He is showing you the emptiness of your false holiness, your legalism, and your fake virtue signaling. Because now there's so many of them, you're not considering this like, oh my gosh, we've been inundated with holiness. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got your false religion thrown utterly in your face, and you can't even walk. You can't go anywhere without violating your own incredible virtues. I mean, I just sat there going like, wow, that's kind of a little stunning. I didn't I didn't know that till I started digging into this. I'm going like, okay, well, it's just frogs. No, it's a whole lot more than just frogs. God's showing the emptiness of your worship. And the emptiness of your standards, the emptiness of the things you consider holy, the, the things you invented. And he's judging it.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. And I'm just like, no way. They finally had to gather them up in stinking rotten heaps. And then what do you do with them? Burn them or bury them? Seriously. This, this is your stinking rotten worship. What do you do with them now?
0: This is one of your deities. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, have at it.
0: It's just completely deconstructing their, their worship in these idols. This is amazing.
1: I mean, it, it basically totally shows their worship having – it's stupid. Because if it was what you said it was, this should be your most glorious revival moment.
0: <laughs> We've got frog legs for dinner.
1: That would be a punishable by death. meal. <laughs> I mean –
0: I'm eating, I'm eating my God. I'm going to digest think
1: of, it. Think of how difficult it is to be put in this moment. Yeah. And and how do you come away with your belief system intact?
0: This hits a, a point of a quote from the Irish prime minister that I bring up many times. It's actually a re-quote, a, a change of an original quote from Winston Churchill. But what he said was, never will so much be asked of so few by so many. And I bring this in because... When you shred idolatries, and this is what we're in the process right now, this whole war ultimately that that is being waged is in the end shredding idolatries from God's way. You end up with people that are literally lost and fallen. You think Trump derangement syndrome is something. Wait till this thing continues to roll out because you strip the worship of the dollar, you strip the worship of your belief that these people are good, you start finding out the depths of the rancor, including child sex trafficking. We could go on a list of things. And when those things start to hit you viscerally and you have no escaping them, that you literally have to scoop up the dead frogs and put them in a basket and either bury them, burn them, or eat them, everything that you originally worshipped is now trashed. And what what happens? And that's the interesting thing. So continue.
1: And just just think of the you know a week of all water turned to blood all all the all the animals in that water die. Your fish die, everything that 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 you would consume in terms of you know river, seafood kind of stuff. that's all dead. Everything that could get out of the water on land is now, you know, those amphibious things are are getting judged. and they're they're dying. They're croaking because they need water too. They don't have it, and you're going like, oh my gosh! And now it's a stinking heap. The stench, I mean, just just think about it for a minute. The stench is going to be extraordinary. Nobody's exempted from this. Egyptians and Israelites alike are having to live through this. Oh my gosh. Yep. And so you'd be sitting there going like. You know, one of the things that the Israelites, it's its its obvious that we see in their exodus, it was no small feat to get them out of Egypt, but it seemed to be almost an impossible feat to get Egypt out of them.
0: Well, that's well said.
1: And you just go like, oh my gosh, they were impacted by living in slavery for 400 years They worship the pantheon of everything out there as well. They had not maintained their obedient monotheism to Yahweh. And you're just going like, they don't know who he is yet. And it's like, wow. And what's crazy is the Egyptians even somehow duplicated this one too. And I'm going like, "What, what the heck did that look like? Somehow they got the frogs to emerge too. And I'm going like, okay, so they're even so darkened in their thinking that they're doing some kind of incantation to try to preserve and prop up their their God and their belief. And it's like, okay, just think about this. Now what?
0: Well, Patriots, that concludes part two of the interview series with Pastor Brad Cummings. Let's pray. Father, we're blessed in these times that we have to come together in fellowship and explore deeply the greater purpose and meaning of the word. Father, as we walk in these times and chaos, times that the world seems to be turning on its head, we just pray that people will continue to dig deep into you and stay away and avoid the temptations of the idols and the idolatries that are so pervasive in our culture. As we learn from the past, let us be see more clearly in the present and the future as we walk with eyes that you give us and ears that you give us to hear. Guide us and protect us. Let our love be true to you in all that we do. And we say these things in Christ Jesus name. Amen. Patriots, and the biggest lesson I think we get out of these plagues as we're beginning to look is just how deep and pervasive idols are and idolatries are. And this is one thing that I'd encourage you to pay attention to as we move forward in this series. We are a world now that is riddled laced, woven together, however you want to say it, with idolatries, and it's incredible how much is done in our world to steer us away from our one purpose here, which is to live through and with Father God. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us, and in the end, God will always win, but we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war, Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
2: Oh, I want to feel
3: something. I just want to breathe again. To the deepest dead Oh, I wanna feel something Let me get back in my body